0: Welcome to Safe Talk with Safe Start. I'm your host, Danny Smith. In Safe Start's Critical Decision Unit 6, we talk specifically about what we call other states, and stress could certainly be considered one of those other states. And with the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, that has caused, uh, well, certainly lots of stress on everyone in a lot of different ways. So how do we deal with not only that situation, but also just the other things that cause tension in our lives on a daily basis. So joining us today is Dr. Daniel Moran, or as many people know him, DJ. Uh, over 25 years, he has worked as a psychologist and an educator, and he has used this background specifically to assist frontline workers in safety. Uh, more on that in just a few moments. Uh, but first, uh, DJ, welcome to the podcast. And uh, as we start, could, uh, could you talk just a, a bit about, well, just stressors in general?
1: Yeah, thanks a lot. I'm honored to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity. I think that a major contributor to what happens insofar as incidents and injuries at the workplace, um, well, they're influenced by many different things, they're multiply caused. But sometimes it could be because people are rushing, and they're frustrated. Um, It could be because they're tired and all of these are what we might put under the umbrella of stress. I mean just think about what stress means, especially distress, right? When when you're feeling stressed out and you hear people say, "Wow, I had a stressful day at work" or, "You know, my significant other is stressing me out" or "My kids are stressing me out." What does that mean? Well, it means that they're quickly trying to fix something. They're frustrated with the fact that they can't or they're just tired of working at something and not getting the ultimate beneficial consequence of it. Mm -hmm. So I think that uh, stress makes a significant impact on our decision-making. Sometimes we don't even make a decision to act in a particular way. Sometimes we just act in a particular way without thinking about it ahead of time. And both of those ways of working sometimes is influenced by people's stress levels. So I think we have to address that at the workplace.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And as we were talking, uh, Prior to, to the recording of the podcast, uh, you mentioned that, uh, you know, the idea of emotions and, and stressors, uh, that's not just inherently bad. I mean, those do kind of keep us uh, safe. You mentioned the example of, uh, I guess it's the classic one. Is that the is that a bear or is that just a berry bush that I'm oh. seeing over there,
1: right? Right. Right. Yeah. right, Danny, that's what I'm talking about is like the fact that we have stress and we feel emotions that we might call stressful, is actually good. They are ancient emotions. They kept our ancestors alive. The fact that we sometimes look at something, and I'm alluding to what you're talking about, like the, the bear in the distance, a long time ago, before we had binoculars, before we had zoologists, before we knew what was going on in our world, there was not a lot of scientists our ancestors would have to walk around the Savannah and they'd see some kind of shape in the distance. And some folks might think that's a berry bush and there's some kind of reward if we go up to it. And some folks might think, well, that shape in the distance might be a bear. And it's the ones it's going to, believe it or not, it's the ones that thought that might be a bear that are our ancestors. Because the ones that were their peers at the time, thinking, "Hey, that's a berry bush," well, they went up to it and they thought they were going to get rewarded. But look what happens: it was a bear, and now they are not mating and passing on those genes to say, "Oh, things are probably going to be good." Mm-hmm. Like they don't—they don't have that. I would call it a proclivity. They don't have that attitude that things are going to work out really good. That—that that thing in the future that thing I'm not sure of, that nebulous shadow in the future, if you look at it and go, oh, everything's going to be fine, well, then you take a high risk. It's that we have this emotion, that we have this state that we're just genetically influenced to have where we go, that's probably going to be a problem. It's that we think about that on the regular that keeps us safe. It really is. I mean, we can still talk about other ways of thinking. Don't get me wrong. It's good to sometimes be optimistic, but I'm just saying in general, we evolved or were created to have emotions that set us up to interact with the world in a way that's safer for us. And, and that's what stress can be looked at as something's wrong and something needs to be done about this. That makes a lot of sense to me. And there's
0: on the other side, there's also uh, some issues that can arise when we when we find that the stress uh, almost I don't know if you want to say restricts us or almost paralyzes us at, at times as well. You mentioned you know not making a decision uh, is certainly something that can cause an issue too, uh, and, and thinking about those feelings and emotions. Uh, sometimes it's it's not whether or not we. Uh, act on those. Uh, sometimes it's whether or not we just suppress those, right? And I know a lot of people do that, try to bury their emotions. Uh, reminds me of something I read, uh, in in the book, Purpose Driven Life by Pastor Rick Warren from out in California. And I'm paraphrasing a bit here, where he said, uh, you know, the absence of conflict is not peace. So, you know, sometimes we bury those things and that's not always a healthy thing either, right?
1: Right. Yeah. In a lot of ways, uh, I agree with what you're talking about. See, this is the thing about those ancient emotions that were passed on to us from our ancestors that I just got done talking about. In the modern world, we look at them sometimes and we call stress, sadness, frustration, anger, anxiety. We call them negative emotions a lot of the times, And when we call them negative emotions... That puts a tone to them like, oh, well, they're negative emotions. I got to do things to avoid them. They're bad news. That's why I justify why we have them. They keep us safe. But in the modern world, we have these kinds of phrases that we get taught early on in our life and we we keep pushing them on the next generation. We say things like, don't worry, be happy. Or what are you getting mad at me for? Don't get angry at me. Or what are you worried about? You stress out too much. Just stop worrying or, you know, calm down. Would you just calm down? (laughs) And all of those things that I just said, all those phrases, everybody's heard them before. And I just can't think that they work. You can't choose to negate your own emotions, but people try and they try by, let's say, crunching some Vicodin and washing it down with scotch. You know, some people do that in order not to feel a certain way. Um, Some people don't speak up when an unsafe situation is around. A rookie might walk into a job. They've only been on the job for about a year. They're nervous to tell a veteran at the job for 20 years about some kind of unsafe thing that the person is doing in order to not feel anxious and to not have an angry exchange the person doesn't say anything, right? Mostly because of the emotion, the emotion of fear or anxiety. And so we're taught that we should not have the way we feel like somehow feelings, these ancient emotions are dangerous. And something I've been doing for for half of my life and for almost all of my career is studying something called acceptance and commitment therapy or acceptance and commitment training. And one of the major components to acceptance and commitment training is learning to accept reality. And part of reality is accepting your own emotions. Can you be willing to have the way you feel without trying to get rid of it? Because what happens is, when people try to get rid of the way that they feel, it actually makes it worse. And that's one of the things that I like to teach folks uh, in my book, Building Safety Commitment, and in my trainings and executive coaching, I I talk to people about this skill of accepting the way you feel. Just, Just notice that the feeling is there and that you can act effectively based on your values and commit to doing things like being a good leader, being productive, and also acting safely, even if your feelings might act as an obstacle to you.
0: Yeah, I find that very interesting as well, because it's, um, you know, for years, I think we have had this this attitude with our emotions, that, you know, it's that we need to bury those, we need to to suppress those, you know, it's the the old thing, how many times did we hear when we're growing, you know, stop crying, or I'll give you something to cry about, you know, it's the classic line there, you know, which we all said, Oh, I'll never say that to my kids. And guess what? Yeah, we did the same thing, right? right? Yeah. So mental health is certainly something I think that we need to think about here. You mentioned in as we were preparing uh, for this, what was it? 1.4 million suicide attempts every year in the U.S.? Um, In in the world. In the world. Okay. I'm sorry. Yes. That's just staggering. That's a staggering number. Um, And just uh, you think about how that the, for example, the pandemic has just magnified some of the stressors. I don't think we've uh, heard, and this is the unprofessional opinion here. Obviously, I don't think we've seen the end of all of this, some of the mental health issues that are going to come out of just being isolated like we have uh, for the past year or so here uh, from right. this either. So that's certainly going to play a role on a, on us moving forward it, for sure. Right. Um, yeah, you know, like I said, I see mental health really is. You know, it's a very internal piece and you know with safe start we talked about that human factors framework uh, of that individual side of that the individual learning loop the four states that we talked about you mentioned them earlier Uh, but we also talk about those other states just as as kind of an extended application of that and that stress can certainly be a part of that and you know thinking about uh, specific skills uh, that we teach to deal with those four states, we talk a lot about self-triggering, uh, recognizing that you're in one of those states. Or to, to, in this context of our conversation, recognizing when those emotions are in play, right, and, and doing something about that. But we also talk about doing some things habitually to help compensate uh, for those times when we're complacent. But certainly they help with some of those other things as well. And I think there's some probably some techniques and habits out there that uh, you've been talking about out with folks that uh, could help as well. you know, uh, Particularly, you mentioned before, uh, just the acceptance training and, and things of that nature. So talk to us a bit about that, if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I think before getting into it, I just want to tell a brief background. Sure. I am not the kind of psychologist who wears, you know, cardigan sweaters and turtlenecks and talks to people. um, Not Bob Newhart,
0: right? (laughs) Yeah, you're not Bob Newhart. So some of our
1: listeners will have to look
0: that reference up, I'm sure.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. I'm I'm not asking people about how they were, you know, raised and I'm not showing them ink blots. It's not that kind of psychology. I was raised in Queens, New York. My dad was an electrician. Uh, my mom was a nurse, a very blue collar. And then I moved to a small town in uh, Illinois for about 20 years. So I understand the rural way of thinking about things too. I put myself through school as a roofer, as an electrician, um, as a driver of uh, uh, delivery vehicles. So I, I'm, I'm not I'm not a highbrow uh, kind of uh, intellectual. I just really want to take science and and make it as meaningful as I can to people I care about. And one of the things that I've been studying for over two decades is the idea of, and here we go, the idea of mindfulness. Now, right there, it turns a lot of people off, right? oh, mindfulness, I, you know, I see that on uh, the magazine rack on Oprah magazine, and it's I'm supposed to engage in meditation. Is that what this guy's going to talk about? And it's not really that. I'm I'm not asking you to become an Eastern philosopher or become a a Buddhist. And if you already are a Buddhist, then good for you. That's cool too, right? But what I'm saying is we can train ourselves with certain, I'm going to call them situational awareness exercises because mindfulness just sounds too out there and hippy-dippy nonsense. Mm -hmm. You can do situational awareness exercises. You could spend a few minutes every day committing to paying attention to one thing, just that. Just say, I'm going to pay attention to what it's like to notice that I'm inhaling and exhaling for about four or five minutes. Break it down. Do it it to start out just just one minute a day and just say, I'm going to focus on my inhale and exhale. I'm going to notice what it feels like to breathe in and notice that the air is cooler and it's warmer when I exhale it out. And I have a rise and fall of my chest, and I'm just going to focus on this. Or it could be paying attention to your coffee. Right? Just, just notice what it what it's like, what what the aroma is like of your coffee, that the steam, you know, sometimes brushes up against your face, um, that there's, you know, the warmth of the cup in one hand. And if you're holding the handle, it's not as warm on the handle, Uh, you know, temperatures differentials there and just be present with doing a behavior, focus on it. And if you have thoughts like, wow, this coffee tastes horrible. My, uh, work crew guy who makes the coffees. He's such a knucklehead. Notice that you're having a judgment and then see if you can let it go. Just imagine your judgments, your thoughts, whatever's coming up in your mind that takes you away from attending to your committed action in the moment. Imagine that set of words is printed out on a poster board and it's being carried away by toy soldiers in a parade. Your thoughts are distant from you and they're moving away thoughts that don't have anything to do with your commitment can just be had, noticed, and let go of. And then bring yourself back to paying attention to your breath. Bring yourself back to attending to your coffee. And if you do this on a regular basis, you're going to be doing an exercise. And what do exercises do? Just think about what happens in the gym when you do exercises like doing Barbell curls. It changes your body, changes your neurons, it changes your muscles, and it makes you stronger. Because you did something on a regular basis, it changes your body and you're stronger at doing it. What if you did situational awareness exercises on a regular basis? They're exercises. And you spent time doing this practice on a regular basis, attending to one thing, whether it be your breath or your coffee. Now, later on, If you're the kind of person who went to the gym and did barbell curls, and now, later on, you're not in the gym, but you got to lift up a bunch of heavy stuff, Mm -hmm. you're not exercising anymore. You're actually doing the work. And because you did the exercises on a regular basis, your body's different, your biceps are bigger, and your skills are better. You're going to be able to lift things better. Because you did the exercises. I think everybody's on board with that. Right. But what if you, on a regular basis, did the exercises of situational awareness, about staying committed to things, even if you're distracted. And then later on in the day, you're at work. And you're doing something that's dynamic. It's, it's, it's risky. And it really needs your attention. Wouldn't it have made sense for you to spend some time working on the skill because it changes your body and it changes your strength wouldn't it make sense to learn how to pay attention to things it is a skill it is a strength that can be built up and i think i think it's not getting taught enough in organizations and um, like I said, you know, I, I put myself through school as, a, as an electrician in New York City and a roofer in a rural place in Wisconsin. I'm used to this culture. I know that I've never been trained in situational awareness or mindfulness. And most of the crews I work with might think it's some namby-pamby nonsense. Right. But I think we got to embrace it. It's, it's the 21st century. Um, and and there, there is value to this. You know, you mentioned...
0: Uh... In, in a previous conversation that you and I had that, uh, so much of our day, I think you said 47% of our day is, is focused on, on either your future or your past. Uh, and, and what we really need to think about is, is, is now, right? Because that's where the hazard is. That's exactly uh, and that's, right. that makes so much sense to me, uh, specifically, what do I need to do right now in this moment to be safe? And if we have all those distractions going on, uh, be it from overconfidence, be it from you know, the stress of a financial situation or a relationship or a friend or loved one that's sick with, uh, with, with COVID or, or whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's a distractor that takes away from our focus. And so working on these exercises as you talked about can, can really help us uh, to, to, to focus and to, and to maintain that awareness in the, in the moment, if you will. Um, so you mentioned this as, as kind of an exercise. Um, so I guess it's kind of like a, the, the, what's the old joke, don't skip leg day. So uh, I guess we don't want to skip mind day either, right? Yeah, right. Uh, so how, how often and, and how long should, should we do this? So obviously you don't want to go to the, the mental gym, if you will, for two hours to start with. But uh, where, where do you start and then how, how long uh, should we be doing this on a regular basis?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, and, and it, it really all depends on what the person's able to afford out of their day. Sure. Um, it's one of these things where, you know, you ask me how much should I exercise because you know, I'm at risk of a heart attack. I'm like, well, what, how close is the gym? Um, how how much do you weigh? I mean, can you afford 20 minutes a day or are you going to really try to become a bodybuilder now and, uh, you know, be on the treadmill um, for an hour a day and then also, you know, pushing weight, you know, for another hour a day. So I I really don't want to say you have to do it this much. But I will say the more you do it and the longer you do different types of exercises, the better you'll get at it. And if you do it on a regular basis every day, Spending two to five minutes just saying, I'm going to learn to focus on something. And I'm going to build up my situational awareness. And if we do this on a regular basis, I think it... It can have an impact. Now I understand. I'm I'm not suggesting that when you're in a tailgate talk, you know, or right before the next shift <laughs> meeting, you know, you know the the foreman's going to go up and say namaste to everybody in the work group, <laughs> and then we're all just going to sit in lotus position and say om. That's not what I'm saying, but I imagine the reminder uh, in one of the um, one of the shanty talks a week that people can uh, teach themselves a skill in mindfulness um, would be a good reminder, maybe running through a two or three minute. So this way people can learn that this is an acceptable thing in this work mm-hmm. culture to, to, to look at mindfulness or situational awareness as worthy. Um, I think it would be a good idea. Um, and then to answer your question specifically, Danny, there is something out there called mindfulness-based mindfulness based Stress Reduction. It's by uh, John Kabat-Zinn. He's like a Western guru of mindfulness. The pun is intended there, but he's probably the most famous mindfulness person. And in this mindfulness-based stress reduction um, research, now this is kind of scary to say, But the people who go through it spend about 40 minutes a day. It's a 40-minute mindfulness exercise. And you can find these exercises on YouTube or SoundCloud. And if you wrote me an email, I'll send you these kinds of resources. 40 minutes might be a lot to ask for, uh, for people who work an eight to four or work an overnight shift, but spending some time. It's just like exercise. Sure. It's, it's better to get up and move your body rather than sit on the couch. It's a good idea for you to focus your mind rather than let it get distracted and become complacent. The interesting thing about having done this is the first few times I went out to train people about acceptance Commitment and mindfulness. I was scared. I thought they were going to run me out on a rail. You know, Can I imagine. mean, raised in, in Queens. My dad's an electrician, union worker, kind of like you know. That, that's how I was. That's how I was. Get reading. out of here,
0: right? Yeah, yeah right,
1: right, my, exactly. My horrible New York accent for yeah. sure. Yeah, <laughs> that bad. Well, get out of here. You're going to teach people about mindfulness. What are you a hippie or something like that? You know. And then, to be honest, and it took a while. For me to really get to know the guys that I was working with and consulting with, but after they realized I'm just not, you know, getting in front of the room and preaching, but rather teaching skills, guys would walk up to me afterwards and they'd say, you know, what you're saying is really interesting. This is what my sensei says that we need to do as I'm training for MMA fights. And I looked into it a little bit uh, further about what goes on with uh, mixed martial arts training and Chuck the Iceman Liddell says in, and he won the belt a few times in the uh, UFC. He says he does mindfulness exercises okay. and so does uh, Leota Machida, another guy who wore the belt and, and they do mindfulness exercises. Just think about it. A tough guy like that. If they're thinking about what am I going to do later on today in Vegas after my fight? Or if they're thinking about, you know, what was the last thing I did when I won in my previous match? If they're thinking about the future in the past rather than the current moment while they're in the octagon with somebody else, if they don't have the skills to be situationally aware, they're doomed. They're going to get knocked mm. out. Yeah. I mean, yeah. tough guys, uh, MMA fighters do this kind of stuff. They're very other- skilled. Yes. Yeah, Right. I mean, we we need that situational awareness skill. I think it's worthy. I think it's worth exploring uh, for folks who work in dangerous and dynamic situations. I mean, if you're going to spend the time and effort learning how to put on your fall protection and, you know, the the money you put together for PPE, why not spend that kind of time and, and resources to teach people about upping their game when it comes to being situationally aware at the work site? That makes perfect sense to me, and
0: uh, those are just some great thoughts. I, I like I said before, I, I see this as being very complementary to the to the ideas that we teach in Safe Start when we're talking about self triggering, recognizing you're in one of those states, uh, and doing this habitually uh, so that you can can deal with these these stressors, uh, and just taking that moment and stepping back and refocusing your thoughts a bit there. Uh, can certainly be be helpful for us. Uh, DJ, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, if our listeners would like more information about some of the things that you've talked about, uh, what's the best way to get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's really easy, just um, my name. So you can email me at dj at drdjmoran.com, d-r-d-j-m-o-r-a-n.com. And uh, if you Google me, just DJ Moran, uh, you know, a lot of hits for my consulting company, Pixlod Consulting uh, will come up in some videos and stuff like that, that I talk to. So just email me and I'll be happy to, uh, to talk to you. And I also have a book called Building Safety Commitment. And if you go to that website, it's got some mindfulness exercises that are really simple for folks uh, to learn about it. Very good. Well, thank you so
0: much again for your time today. And uh, folks, as always, if you have a topic or uh, another guest that you would recommend for Safe Talk, just remember to send me an email at, danny at safestart.com. Uh And if you found this podcast helpful, be sure to share it with some other folks as well. Uh, I'm Danny Smith for Safe Talk with Safe Start. Thanks and have a great day.